And hey, welcome in. Happy Monday to you. This is Lunch with Claves and Joe here on ClavesOnline.com. Coming to you on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Powered by Ameren, Illinois. Driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. And also sponsored by the Home Loan Experts. I'm Joe Roderick. Joined alongside by Mike Claiborne. And Claves, you got to watch some baseball this weekend. Cardinals have uh, two games under their belt in the uh, down there in Jupiter. Yeah, two games under their belts, uh, another one this evening, and uh, so far so good. Um, Happy to report we haven't had anybody hurt yet, so that's a good thing. No, and you know what? Uh, I think it's it's clear to see the direction the team's going to go as far as the uh, the starting nine are concerned, uh, especially with a few of the other signings that have happened this weekend around baseball. It looks like we, we kind of have an idea who that top, 10, 11 guys are going to be who they're going to be rotating in and out for the most part during the season. And I think it's fair to say the Cardinals are going to heavily rely on that gold glove defense that they have and maybe find a few arms here and there to, uh, to get the job done. I think you're going to need more than a few arms. You're going to need a whole lot of arms, uh, uh, especially at the beginning of the year, because nobody's going to be truly stretched out. You're going to be in a position where you need to figure out who can do what. You got some new faces you want to give a look to also. So there are so many things that are moving, and you have a condensed schedule. A lot of games, a lot of activity will be taking place on the backfields. How you find innings for everyone is going to be a challenge, but that's why you have Oliver Marmol, Mike Maddox, guys who really are creative and trying to get the most out of what they have to work with. I think it's, you know, you're going to see – the fan base get really riled up over the fact that the Cardinals didn't get Trevor Story. Didn't uh, we're we're never in on Carlos Correa, but I, I I don't think I ever once heard the Cardinals rumored to be on, on Carlos Correa. But it's shortstops that are out there, and if you look at the team the way it stands right now, the the weak spot I would say you look out there and you say okay maybe the shortstop could be the room for improvement. But when you look at the other eight out there. Right now, if you're looking at going between Edmundo Sosa and Paul DeYoung at that shortstop position, you know not every lineup is going to be the the Dodgers. Not every lineup is going to go one through nine and be as stacked as what the Dodgers are. Some of these other teams are. So if that is the weak spot right now, it's it's not a terrible decision, especially when you look at the way the rest of the NL Central looks right now. Why go out there and spend $30 million on a player for one season when you can kind of assess it as you go along in June, July, and see where it goes from there? Well, I agree with you. And I was never a big proponent of any of the shortstops that were out there. The only reason why I liked Seager was because he was left-handed bat. Now, the one thing all those guys you just mentioned have in common is the fact they all stay hurt a lot. So I wasn't necessarily all in on the Cardinals having to get a shortstop. Uh, I think Story is probably, like every guy who comes out of Colorado, maybe a little misleading with regard to numbers. Uh, The strikeouts concern me a lot with him, and I know why he hit for power. It was power in Colorado. So I wasn't necessarily sold on him, and I wasn't sold on the money at all. Uh, I, I just think what they were asking for those guys just didn't add up for me. And I don't think that's why you saw any of the teams they left put up a big fight to keep them. Uh, Colorado obviously could have afforded. I mean, if they spent money on Chris Bryant, they could have spent money on this guy. Um, 
you know, you look at Texas, Texas wanted a shorter deal. Uh, so they could have afforded them. And then when you look at Seager, if there's a team that has money, it's the Dodgers. So they all could have afforded their players, but they elected them to move on because I think they realized maybe either they got the maximum out of them or they felt the injury bug was too much to bite off of when it came to paying them even more money. The uh, the Cardinals did go and get a left-handed bat this weekend, signing uh, veteran Corey Dickerson to a one-year, $5 million deal. Corey Dickerson last year spent time between the Marlins and the uh, and the Blue Jays. Uh, 109 games, only six home runs. The power numbers have been down the last few years, but he's a guy that has hit 24 home runs or more in three seasons uh, during his time in the big leagues, and he's going to be that left-handed power DH bat, maybe spell a, guy, a few guys in the outfield from time to time. It's not a, you know, not a earth shattering deal, but it's, it's not one that's going to break the bank either. Your guy, Colin Moran signed with the Reds, a one year, $1 million deal, uh, just out there basically given his, uh, his time away for next year. Yeah. Let's start with, with, uh, Dickerson for a minute. Uh, you mentioned the power numbers being down. I, I think you have to look at where he was, what his role might've been in different organizations. And in this situation, he's probably just going to face righties. Uh, you can't put him in the outfield. I mean, he's a gold glover. So I think he brings you a little bit more versatility. And I think the lineup that he'll be in will be better than some of the other ones he was partially around. So it really comes down to where some of these guys end up when you see how good they can actually be. Uh, Brad Miller is a good example. Brad Miller was just a guy here. He goes to Philadelphia. And, and parlays that into a $10 million deal with Texas because he was in a very good offensive lineup. So when you look at these guys, you have to kind of look at where they were compared to where they're going. Yeah. that uh, so that that's your left-handed bat there. And I think you, you I, I don't know offensively. I don't think you're going to see another move made by the Cardinals. Um, but pitching, you mentioned they're going to need a few arms are there any names out there on the free agent market that you still are looking at at a possibility as a fit here in St. Louis? Well, Pineda was a guy I was intrigued by, but he was signed today by Detroit. Uh, I don't really see anybody who's out there who can really come in and be an innings eater. Uh, I think you'd have to probably make a trade uh, in that situation. So I know Oakland has a couple of guys out in their situation that might be interesting. The price might be a little steep if you're the Cardinals. So I think what you'll see more than anything else is them starting from within. Woodford, McAllister, uh, Verhagen. Those are three guys that they're going to take a long, hard look at. Oviedo will probably be in that mix. I'm not sure if Oviedo is the answer, uh, considering where he's been and where he needs to go in order to learn how to truly pitch. So they're going to start with those three. And if things really start to get hairy, then obviously they have to go out on the market and make a deal. Um, but I think if there's anything that we learn, and we had this situation last year, if you recall, where we had some guys go down and we tried to nickel and dime our way through the season when we probably could have went out and gotten another arm. So maybe they learn from that. Uh, I really think it depends on how long they anticipate Flaherty being out. Now, let's, let's get to that subject. Uh, in speaking to him, you know, he can't do anything because of the PRP injection. He can't do anything until the, the, the injection actually sets in. It takes about a week or so, maybe two. Uh, 
he gets on a throwing program to build himself up. Now, obviously, he won't be around for opening day, but I got the impression that he's going to be closer to being ready than maybe some would think. Now, with regard to Alex Reyes, I don't see Alex Reyes being back and being able to contribute before June. Uh, his situation was a little bit more serious, and it's unfortunate because he's had so many injuries that have slowed him down over the course of his career in St. Louis, but it is what it is. So going back to your original point regarding pitching, those will be the three that are going to get the longest look. And if they all blow up, then maybe they look around or maybe they just try and, I don't know, piggyback some games along the way. Maybe they try and stretch out somebody else in the bullpen. Another guy that we haven't talked about who has a capability of being a starter is a guy like Ryan Helsley. Maybe he's a guy that gets you five innings somewhere along the way. But it's early, and I think we, we don't want to make too much of it too soon. It really just hinges on how long guys are able to throw. Let's talk about them expanding the roster a little bit to, to give some relief to some of the pitchers who need to still stretch themselves out. So the next week or two is probably going to decide on the, the real actual direction of where the Cardinals plan on going for at least the first three weeks of the season. Yesterday, uh, you mentioned Verhagen. He went two innings yesterday, struck out three. Whitgren went one inning and struck out one. We also saw Junior Fernandez pitch yesterday, too. And uh, another inning, he also struck out one guy. Um, you mentioned Helsley getting a look at maybe kind of stretching him out for a starter role. About last year, we, we heard Mo talk a little bit about that being a possibility for a guy like Jordan Hicks. Uh, stretching him out and maybe the idea of him throwing every fifth day was better for his arm than throwing, you know, three times in five days out of a bullpen role. H has that been brought up no. any more recently? No, they're bringing him along very, very slowly. Um, I think he's got a bullpen schedule for today. I'm not sure. I have to look at the schedule. Uh, the late report today. Nobody can be there before uh, or one o'clock or noon central. So it's one of those situations where we just kind of stand around waiting on them to let everybody in. And at that, at that point, I can get you a better idea of what his schedule is. But I, I think they just want to make sure he can actually pitch before they decide on what his role will be. So we have uh, yeah night game tonight. You'll be on the call for that over on KMOX. Uh, it, it's at the uh, the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. So you'll uh, you'll get a full report there. Yadier Molina will be coming to camp today. He will be participating in workouts tomorrow. Calm the fears of Cardinal fans out there who are worried that Yadi wasn't there all of last week. What was the uh, what was the situation there with his late report? Uh, personal reasons, family reasons, and that's good enough for me. Um, you know, I, it was no injury issue or anything along that line. I know that so. Uh, let's just let it happen. As I said last week, um, I don't really care what's going on. I hope things work out for him, but I was just counting on seeing him on April 7th. That's when we really start playing. I don't think Yachty needs extra work here in spring training. This is a guy that takes great care of himself, and who knows how much baseball he was playing this winter because uh, he just likes to play. So I'm not overly concerned. I, I think fans get worked up over it because it's something that they are not accustomed to. And they don't want anything to go wrong. But overall, that, that's my last concern is Yadier Molina uh, being able to be effective for this ball club.
if people out there don't think that going into his final season of his career that he just hasn't picked up a baseball for the last four months or hasn't swung a bat at all, they haven't been watching him for the last 20 years of his career. That's true. You're you're spot on. So that that's that's a non-starter subject for me. Uh, we can move on to something else. He uh, so he will uh, he will be there, um, and we will see when he gets worked uh, worked into the lineup. We mentioned Trevor Story to the Red Sox. Uh, that you know that that they are just trying. It's another AL East team trying to bolster their lineup. That that entire AL East is going to be a lot of fun to watch this uh, this season. For how uh, that in the NL East too. With, yeah, with the NL I East, agree. It, it's just the the East Coast baseball. Uh, what the Phillies did last week, going out and getting Schwarber and Castellanos, uh, both of those guys, uh, you add that to a lineup with Bryce Harper and Hodgkins, and just uh, that is just, they are just Rio Muto. Gonna softball. That's going to be softball. Yeah, uh, yeah you're <laughs> right. I don't know how well they're going to catch it, but they're going to hit it a lot. That's for darn sure. They're not going to uh, run the bases that fast either. But you know no. what? You just put two of them on and try to hit a home run. I mean, that's you and, know. And in that ballpark, you, you, I think they're, they're going to be doing a lot of damage. You know, I'll tell you another division. Uh, American League West might be interesting to watch. Uh, I think Seattle's going to have a say so. I think the Angels are going to have a say so. Uh, and, you know, you've got some other teams that are trying to make that next step to to postseason play. And with the extra playoff spot, there are some teams that really feel like they can make up the difference. So there's going to be more balance in baseball. And I think some people would think, yeah, every team's going to have every every division is going to have a Pittsburgh. OK, there's going to be an Arizona. There's going to be some other teams that just won't have it. The Cincinnati's, although Cincinnati could be the sneaky dangerous because in their ballpark, they still have some guys that can play. They just don't have enough of them. But everybody's going to have the ones. Baltimore, of course, uh, which is an annual disaster. But I think there are more teams that are making a move in a more positive direction uh, to be better than what they were last year. And that, that may sound simple, but there are some teams that just don't care. And I just mentioned a few of them. But I, I look at that American League West as being something interesting to watch, especially – I go back to the Angels. You get Trout, Otani, Rendon all going at the same time. You got Syndergaard in the rotation now. Joe Madden has done a lot with a little in certain situations. So they could be a lot of fun. And Seattle is right there on the cusp of really breaking out. Texas is another team that's making a statement also. So I anticipate this being a fun, fun year for baseball fans. Seattle just went, I mean, the trade they made with the Reds last week to go out and, and add two more bats to that lineup uh, really have made, have kind of put them in, in contention there yeah, in, in the AL West. And when you look at the Astros, they haven't made any moves yet this year, really. They haven't even put lost. a big league team on the field yet down here. I mean, the first two days of spring training games, they had all minor leaguers out there. Yeah, they I changed that. that rule. Yeah. They changed that rule where you don't have to travel, you know, uh, guys with big league experience. And the Astros want to just see how far they could go with it uh, because they haven't put a competitive team on the field yet. I don't know. I didn't really look at yesterday's lineup. I would assume that they did because they were playing at home. Uh, so maybe they, they put a more competitive team out there. And then you look at the AL Central with the White Sox, you'd have to think going coming from last year, going into this year, are going to be the favorites again. I'm still trying to figure out what exactly the Twins are trying to do with their team because they, they start trading away some salary and then they go and they bring in, they make the big move for Carlos Correa, which 
could just be a one-year deal and they could just be playing for this year, but it doesn't look like they have the pieces to really make a big run at anything for, for one year of Carlos Correa. So yeah, that, that, that you're right. That's kind of a head scratcher. Uh, maybe the twins feel like they, they've got some players, you know, I think they go as far as Brian Buxton takes them. I mean, he's the key factor there. They've got some other good talent. Uh, and I, I look at what they've done. And the first thing you say is hey, they don't even have Nelson Cruz as a DH anymore. I'm anxious to see how they put this together. Uh, that division, you're right. Chicago is a team that, you know, for what they did last year should be very competitive. Anytime Terry Francona is managing a team, you have to respect them and what they're doing. Kansas City is going to be better. I think Detroit is an X factor. Uh, they've put a lot of pieces together. I'm not sold on Javi Baez. Uh, I, I think he's a real talent, but he's a walking strikeout. Uh, and how he assumes a leadership role in that ball club, I think, is something we'll all have to pay attention to. But they've got some other good parts around them, though. With with the Tigers, it's mostly it's going to be how those young kids they they mm-hmm. have a lot of top prospects in that organization. Yeah. When do they introduce them to the uh, to the big league squad, and then how well do they take it being in the in the pros? I think they'll do it this year. I really do. I think you're going to see a lot of those kids get a crack at it this year. Uh, so they'll have to learn along the way and they'll make some mistakes, but um, that's the way the game is headed. Kids are getting a, a quicker chance to to perform than they have in the past, and we'll see where that takes them. It's a uh, it's a lot of fun to have baseball to talk about yet again. Uh, I had you know talking about it and just kind of looking at the lineup. Uh, Friday on my show was a uh, it was a lot of fun to have uh, back. We didn't even mention Freddie Freeman signing with the Dodgers yet either. I, I think that was kind of a uh, kind of assumed after the trade last Monday for Matt Olson that the Braves made, but that Dodgers that's. That's one of those lineups that you uh, you see every few years. A team puts together a one through nine that is unlike anything we've ever seen before, and they're all or nothing this year to uh, to win the win the World Series with that lineup. Yeah, you, you hope that their pitching keeps up. You know, they lost a couple of people: Joe Kelly, Kenley Jansen. They've got some other people they want to elevate. Obviously, uh, May coming off Tommy John. You've got some other young pitchers that you're anxious to see. Uh, they, they've got a lot of pieces working for them. There's no question about it. And they will be a handful. They've got to stay healthy. I don't know how deep they are at mm-hmm. this point. Uh, they mortgaged a lot over the last few years. So we have to see how that's going to me- measure out. But, you know, they, they get off on one of those good starts, Joe. They, they could probably they, – they let's say in the first 60 games, they're a team that could easily be 25 to 30 games over 500. That's how good they have the potential to be. You got Steven Matz going against Eric Freedy tonight for the uh, for the Nationals, a night game in Palm Beach. Uh, what are you hoping to see out of Steven Matz the first time that we will see him throw a ball in a Cardinal uniform? Well, I want to see him, him see how he works hitters, uh, see how many ground ball outs he can get. You know, lefty keeping the ball down is obviously important for him. Uh, I watched one of his bullpens, and, you know, he, he's he got a little bit more zip on his fastball than I think some people would anticipate being a left-hander. He was 94-ish with movement, so that that's a good start. So I'm anxious to see that, but I'm also anxious to see how big league hitters are going to deal with him. Uh, you know, what minor leaguers do is, is also a little bit of a challenge, but 
what the reaction is going to be from the big league hitters that are going to be in the lineup tonight. I would imagine they'll put an A team out on the field considering they're at home. So I think that's something we'll all have to keep an eye out for. That game not on TV tonight. So if you want to uh, listen to it, Camel X is uh, where it'll be. Who you be? Uh, who you teamed up with tonight? For that John game? Rooney and I will be on tonight, and uh, we're going to kind of have a little bit of a rotation. Uh, John and Ricky and I will kind of rotate games and innings, you know. So it'll be something for us all to get some reps in as we get closer to opening day. That's right. You guys got you know what those uh, the big leaguers when they're on you know when they're on the field you know Goldschmidt Arenado they get two at bats and they're out of there. You guys, you guys are stuck uh, all nine innings of uh, of that. You guys got to do your homework and dive deep into that lineup or that uh, roster. Well, some the, of those guys towards the end. The key is not to be around when you know, and somebody will do the last three innings. Somebody will leave early. You want to be that guy who leaves early because once they start running those guys out with ninety seven and ninety four on their back, and you're scrambling trying to find out who he is, uh, it, it can be a little bit of a challenge, especially down here because. Some of these guys don't have names on their back. Some of these guys aren't in the media guide. And some teams don't provide you enough information on who's going to be up from the minor league complex. So it's a real, it can be a real cluster from time to time. <laughs> it can. Hey, uh, this is uh, the show powered by Ameren, Illinois, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. Also sponsored by the Home Loan Expert Claims. Last week, we were at the Home Loan Expert offices with the, uh, with the Gillespie team, James and Jason Gillespie. Yeah, they're going to be part of what we do as well. And these guys have been around for quite some time and they're part of the home loan expert team. And they're going to be great teammates that we'll be talking with over the course of time. And we had them on, as you mentioned, and you'll be hearing a lot more from them down the road along with Ryan, Ryan, well, along with Ryan Kelly. <laughs> hey, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll take a look at our brackets right here on Lunch with Claves and Joe here on ClavesOnline.com. <laughs> My name is Jeremy Seabree. I am one of the owners of Pawford K9. Marcus Galmore, co-owner of Pawford K9. What makes us different from other dog companies is there is no breed left behind. We stand by that 120%. We specialize in aggressive behavior modification. We don't turn away. We bring them in for a free, free evaluation to see if we can help the dog. Here at Pawford K9, we focus on the owners educating the owners. How do I get this dog to give me the behaviors that I'm asking for without the treats? Mm -hmm. So that's when me and Marcus come in. We train the dog, so when you take the dog home, you don't need the treats. The dog is doing it because you're asking it to. After each training package, we go through a series of lessons. We keep going until the owner gets it. We make sure that they go over the beatings with their dog, and that dog is listening before they, before they leave here, but also we follow up when they get home. Is your pup listening to you here? If it's not, we one phone call away, we'll make a trip. We got the Pawpig Mobile where we go out to their homes and make sure their dog is okay. Back here, lunch with Claves and Joe here on ClavesOnline.com, powered by Ameren, Illinois, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura, and sponsored by the Home Loan Expert. Claves, you, uh, you've worked firsthand with the uh, the folks at Pawfit K9. Yes, I have, and uh, they've done wonders for my two dogs, and uh, I strongly recommend people, if you're in that situation where maybe your dog isn't as attentive as you'd like for him to be, or maybe you have a new dog and you want to make sure that they get it, uh, you can't go wrong with this outfit. They've done wonders for me. I know some other friends of mine have sent their dogs there and they've come home happy as well. 
And what I'm going to do when I get back is go through a little refresher course with them, with my dog, because I haven't been around my dogs as much as I'd like to, obviously. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But you should look forward to making sure that your dogs, well, hell, they all, they'll be good enough to even host their own, their own podcast if you, if you take them out there with Paul Tucker for a long, long enough time. So just check them out. Hey, this past weekend, uh, college basketball started their tournament. I didn't get to watch as many games as I wanted to. Claims I was uh, I, I was swim dad this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. My kid had his final swim meet of the uh, of the season. Came very close to uh, to maybe ending up on one of those viral videos in his uh, in one of his races. He touched the wall, and the clock on the wall never stopped. And he finished first in his heat, and it kept going and going about seven seconds until it stopped. And I was about ready to uh, run down there and figure out what happened, but luckily the uh, this timer. Oh, you won those kind of dads, huh? I was about oh, to be. I was about. I was about to be. I didn't think I was. You don't oh, think that you you don't think you're that kind of dad until uh, until that clock doesn't stop and you know that he touched the wall. Then it, uh, yeah. Th- then things change real fast. But I, I, I watched it and I, I watched them take care of it and they went with the stopwatch at the wall instead of the uh, instead of the sensor. So everything was smoothed out. And uh, and they gave him the correct place in everything. But I I was I was really worried that for a second I was going to end up online on a video somewhere uh, for for that. So didn't didn't expect it to happen when he's only eight years old. I figured we still yeah, have a few years before yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's the point here. Jeez. Uh, but we saw <laughs> we saw the field go from 64 down to uh to 16. Don't even need to ask the question of who the biggest surprise is. St. Peter's out of the uh the New Jersey area claims becomes the second 15 seed to make it to the sweet 16. Uh we saw what was it? The, the school down there, um, what was the uh Dunk City or Dunk uh whatever the uh the school was. That we saw make it down to the. I'm trying to think what the name of the uh, the school was that we just saw do it a few years. Central Florida, Florida, Gulf, Coast. Florida Gulf Coast, Florida, Florida Gulf Coast, yeah. Coaching now at USC, yeah, yeah. So we saw the uh, the former Rutgers point guard take uh, St. Peter's now to the uh, to the Sweet Six 16, knocking off Kentucky and Murray State. It, you know what? It's a great story, but what we see a lot from these Cinderellas, they make it through the first weekend like that. Now they go back to school. Now they get all the hype around them. And I, I don't see it lasting past uh, past their next game. Um, the way that the tournament works now, um, I, I would I would have agreed with you, but I think because these these kids have a lot more experience. You mentioned the point guard playing at Rutgers. Uh, it's a new game, and that's why I think you saw the upsets in the manner that you did. The the players are better and are better suited. I mean, you don't have a bunch of young freshmen and sophomores. We're talking about fifth-year seniors or transfer portal guys and other players that have now come together to really have an impact on the tournament. Uh, so, I, again, I would just say that St. Peter's is as game as anybody because here's one thing they can do. They can guard. And what they can do, the way they guard can frustrate another team. And if a team doesn't get its shots or starts missing shots and they start to press – and then they get a couple of offensive fouls. You got to have a guy sit down. That's how they get in your kitchen. And whether they can pull this off next week, and I don't know who their opponent is off the top of my head. Purdue. Purdue. That, that'll be interesting because of Purdue's size up front. So I would just say, let's just let it happen. Let's let them show up and see what they can do. They'll have their hands full, but who doesn't? 
that next Sunday, that next Saturday and Sunday. So I expect it to be tough. That game, uh, they'll be playing it in Philadelphia, a part of the uh, part of the East region. Uh, they have Purdue, the uh, the upper part of the bracket, North Carolina and UCLA, two prestigious programs on the other side of uh, of things. There, the uh, the one that, as I as you look around at the um, at what's happened in the tournament this past weekend, the uh, the big one that jumps out at me, the you know, we we saw Duke, they, you know, that, that West bracket, they're one through four all the way down. Duke continues to go on that uh, the Tom Izzo-Mike Krzyzewski game yesterday. Last time we'll see those two guys coach against each other. You saw Duke kind of pull through, and we talked about it last week. How will the, the young guys on that Duke Blue Devil team be able to withstand the pressure of, you know, giving their coach that final championship on his way out the door? I don't know if it's about the coach anymore. I think it's about the pressure playing the game. You know, they they had their chance when they lost to Cameron Indoor. So now it's about playing the game and, and you know, being part of something that's special. Uh, yeah, it would be great if the coach goes out on top, but I think players have to reduce that element and focus on just doing their job and not worry about all the circus that's around them. And, and I'm sure that they're fairly insulated from the media crush that we've come with something like this. So it's just about just bearing down and playing. And, and I'm anxious to see how they respond in the next round. The uh, Illinois, they got knocked out in the round of 32 Houston beat them. And you saw their season come to an end. Officiating has, has kind of been under the microscope as it usually is in the, uh, in the tournament. I don't know if you were able to watch and see the, uh, the technical foul that was called yeah, on saw. RJ Melendez. Yeah. Yesterday, that that was still a very close game, and still a lot of time left when that technical was called. And then after that, Houston kind of went on a run and, and took things over. Well, you know, two two different scenarios. <clears throat> um, Illinois player, well, the North Carolina player gets tossed for throwing an elbow, and he's a good player. Yeah. Uh, Baylor went on a run. Carolina survived the storm, takes it to overtime, and they win. A dunk. Um, it gets called for hanging on the rim and Illinois never recovered. And they had plenty of time to climb back in that game. They just didn't play well enough bottom line. And that's kind of been their Achilles heel. And while I think Brad Underwood does a good job, I, I just think that the skill level caught up to them where I thought they were good with, with Kofi there. Uh, I thought their guard play was good. I thought they were good on the wings, but they didn't have, uh, a plan B after the technical and for them to hang the game and the loss on a technical when they weren't playing well before that. And certainly after that, um, I'm not buying it. And another thing you mentioned the officiating, I, I really feel like the NCA needs to take a long look at how they regulate officiating because you have so many referees who work for maybe five nights a week the throw in the travel, they work more than than some teams play games in a week, throw in the travel, and maybe they've got a day job. How do you expect these guys to be as sharp as they need to be this late in the year, along with the fact that maybe there just aren't enough good officials? When you've got this tournament, you've got the NIT, you've got the women's NCAA tournament, their mm -hmm. NIT. There's a lot of officials that are working right now, and so you may not be in a position to have as many as you need. Now, mm -hmm. I feel that the officiating will get better.
because there won't be as many games and you can evaluate who's who still has something left in the tank for the remaining weekends of basketball. Yeah. And the, you know, the guys too, I, I think it's kind of gone away, but you know, some of these college guys, these college refs, I mean, they're working other jobs outside that's, of that. That's my point. Yeah. yeah it, it's, and I think the same has gone in the NFL for so many years that they wanted to make those officials full time, you know, full time well, jobs be be to you know when you can focus on just being an NFL official and just doing that, it makes you better at that one job. I, I don't see. I don't subscribe to that for this reason. Um, the other sports play multiple games during the course of a week. Okay, what's the NFL referee going to do from Saturday till the following Sunday? Go over video, work a practice, do a game. I mean, there just isn't enough, in my opinion, to put a guy on a full-time salary when they already make damn good money as it is. I don't know how you better them by making them full-time. There there aren't enough opportunities for me, at least from what I sit, that would make that warrant that being a full-time position. So with the uh, 16 left in the tournament, any uh, teams jump out at you as uh, as far as who you like? I like the West Coast teams, um, especially Arizona. I think Arizona is is a complete team. I'm I'm intrigued by UCLA uh, and what they're capable of doing. They've been having a problem finding some consistency. Gonzaga is certainly a team that you have to respect. And I think everybody else is like, why not us? I really think when you look at some of the other teams and you look around and you say to yourself, well, we're here for a reason. So why not us? Uh, Which makes them dangerous. But on paper, the three teams I just mentioned certainly bode well at this point. You throw in the Duke factor, the Carolina factor, as far as their experience and their tradition, although tradition doesn't come into play in the last three minutes of a game because all the people who made the tradition what it is aren't playing. So it's one of those situations now where you you hope that coaching really comes into play and can narrow these games down to certain segments that they have to win in order to be able to be on the winner's table when this thing is over with. The uh, the games get back started on Thursday, but locally, some uh, college hoops news and notes. We talked last week about Quanzo Martin being let go from Mizzou. They have announced that they will be hiring Dennis Gates for the uh, for the head coaching job at Mizzou. You know what? I, the days we we talked about it last week between you know who would be out there, Rick Pitino, Kim English, names like that. I think it's safe to say the names of a big time hire um, at Mizzou are kind of gone away right now. That that program hasn't won a tournament game in what twelve years now since two thousand ten. So you're not attracting the big names like you like you used to. I'm not sure if Missouri ever attracted big names. To be honest with you, they never uh, needed. To. I mean, well, I guess going out and getting uh, Quinn Snyder. An unproven, an unproven assistant coach. But he was a big name because of who he was coaching under. He was the hot assistant at the time. Maybe. Yeah, I, 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 I go along with that. But you know, I just and we've talked about the fact that you know Missouri doesn't have any basketball tradition. I mean, they've had some good players over the years, but nothing that you can talk about with regard to their tournament success. And that's what no. this is all about. Um, what Dennis Gates is going to be able to do there, I have no idea. Um, 
I spoke to a couple of people yesterday about him and they seem to feel like he's he's probably ready. But I don't know if he knows what he's walking into because he's going to have to build this thing from the ground up. As we just talked about, they don't have any tradition. They don't have any fans. They don't have any players. Uh, and he's going to have to hit the ground running and try and convince some people that we you can be the start of something. I don't know how many kids want to be the start of something anymore. They want to be part of something. And how you sell Missouri, and I'll ask you the question. If you're the head coach and I just hire you to coach Missouri, how do you sell Missouri? How do you sell the program? I think you go and you sell it to kids from the state, from Kansas City, from St. Mm -hmm. Louis, and elsewhere, and you say – you know, try to sell them on building some sort of young Fab Five type team and saying you guys can be the first ones in school history to make the Final Four. Well, I don't know if there enough if there are enough good players like that here in the state. And I also think this: be careful for what you wish for for trying to bring everybody from the state in to to uh, to play. Uh, and the reason being everybody's not going to play. Everybody's not going to work. And we're seeing a little bit of that at University of Missouri on the football side. And remember, the transfer portal gives guys options they've never envisioned in their life to have. So you have to be careful in how you recruit. Uh, yeah, I like to have the best player in the state, but I like to have the best player in some other places too uh, because that's what's going to get you there. To have a bunch of guys from Knob to Missouri and Vashon and Kansas City, right, right, Ray Park Central or whatever, I don't think that's going to be enough for you to win. I really don't. You you got to find some other players if you want to be a national program. One of uh, – and here locally in St. Louis, uh, one thing that's starting to uh, attract a little attention, the SLU women's basketball team has parted ways with longtime coach Lisa Stone this uh, this weekend. And you and I talked about it a little bit earlier that uh, that it's starting to starting to, you know, get some get some news behind it. Well, it's going to get some news because that's an interesting and maybe an attractive program. Uh, they've got facilities. Uh, I don't like the conference that they're in, but I think overall it's going to be an interesting job for someone. And I think Chris May might get creative in how he hires someone for this job. Uh, he can go a lot of different directions with respect to who would be a good candidate. Maybe somebody, uh, maybe somebody who has already been a coach somewhere. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a guy like Dan Rolfes, you know, at Incarnate Word, who does have some college coaching experience. We know he can coach uh, girls basketball. I mean, he, hell, he won another championship. He's won, a, what, 68 in a row. So we know he knows what he's doing. But there are going to be some other qualified candidates out there. And then you never know. He might pull one out of his hat, that be a Chris May, that we never saw coming. I think that's going to be an interesting situation for us to all pay attention to. Bob Ramsey, is he a possibility for uh, for that? No, uh, Rammer and officials probably wouldn't get along long enough for him to to really have a significant impact on the program. <laughs> hey, before we uh, before we take another break here, I do want to mention congratulations to uh, Frank Cusimano, who is going into the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame. Um, I, I know you were just on with him about an hour ago, uh, you guys, uh, with your weekly chat on the press box. But congratulations going out to him. Yeah, Frank's very deserving of it. Uh, he's the most credible sports anchor we have in St. Louis now. Um, and, and really probably the only station that's actually committed to legitimate sports. 
when you think about the the staff and the team that they have over there, and it, and it goes way back over the years. They've always had a good solid staff, but you know Frank being a local guy who wanted to make his roots stay in St. Louis, uh, and what he's been able to do. Uh, few people will outwork him, that's for sure, and he's very deserving of the the honor of being in the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame because he is truly St. Louis. Hey, let's take uh, another break here, come back and quickly wrap things up so you can head down to the ballpark, uh, down to Jupiter. We have right now our Amron Minute. By the here. way, Yachty, yep. ha- Yachty has arrived. For all those yep. folks that are worried, Yachty is in the house. <laughs> all right, let's hit up an Amron Minute, Minute and wrap things up here for the day. The future of electric vehicles is beginning to grow across the Midwest, but there's a lot of work to be done before most people will feel comfortable switching from gas to EV. Ameren, Illinois President and Chairman Richard Mart gives us some insight into how they're preparing by adding more electric vehicle charging stations. Our vision is to basically have charging stations every 60 miles or so, you know, from Cook County all the way to the tip of the state down to the Kentucky area, and then across the state, east and west, going toward Kansas and Iowa uh, to the to the west and going toward Indiana uh, uh, to the east. And so uh, we, we feel that uh, within the next few years, we'll probably add, probably you know, we're hoping to add 60 to, to 70 a year over the next five years to really complete that infrastructure for the entire Midwest. In fact, uh, the Midwest now has all the utilities in the Midwest are joining together to coordinate that. So, uh, which is the first time it's ever happened that you've had Wisconsin say, okay, we're going to build our charging stations here, and Illinois say, okay, well, we can tap on here in Missouri. This makes sense for us. So we can expand that north, south, east, and west by coordinating with other utilities. Claims, I got some more breaking news uh, for you, uh, too, right now here as we welcome you back. Lunch with Claves and Joe here on ClavesOnline.com, powered by Amron, Illinois, driven by Munganass St. Louis Accurate, sponsored by the Home Loan Expert. Uh, per Andrew Marchand, Al Michaels is going to be calling Thursday Night Football on Amazon with Kurt Herbstreet. There's a, there's a brand new team that'll be calling uh, calling games this year. So I'm anxious to see that. Um I have great respect for both of those guys. And, you know, this will be the first time we've had a guy in Kirk Herbstreet who didn't play in a league that's going to actually be an analyst. But I thought he was one of the best analysts football-wise we have. Uh, He does a phenomenal job in college. He's very well prepared. And I think it was harder to prepare for college games than it is for the NFL because the NFL teams basically stay the same. They don't really change very much. College is a whole different animal. So, uh, I'm anxious to hear it, anxious to see it, and I wish them both the best. There's been a lot of NFL, uh, other NFL players on the moves the, the past few weeks, but locally we got to talk about the NHL trade deadline, which is uh, which is fast approaching. Uh, the Blackhawks just traded Marc-Andre Fleury to the Minnesota Wild for a 2022 conditional first round pick. I got to say Klebs, your guy Kevin Weeks has been uh, he's been cracking me up this uh this past week with his Twitter updates on breaking news for the trades. Every time he's somewhere different. The man's uh, the man's been all over the place uh just from the nose up too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know whether he cut himself shaving on his chin or what because we don't know. 
Uh, but he's rocking and rolling right now. He is breaking some good stuff right now. And uh, uh, he might be as connected as anybody in the NHL. And there's some really good insiders. But he's right there with the best of them. And uh, what the Blues do, we're all hoping to see what they do. Uh, they're running out of time. So I asked this question earlier, and I ask you, if you think you're that one player away, do you really care about a first-round pick that's going to be toward the end of the first round? If because if, if, you if, have, if you think you have enough, that first-round pick can't help you next year or the year after. Right. But if and you don't so think so, then, you know, sit on them. But Until to factor you, two, if you think that you're good enough to at least advance past the first round of the playoffs – you're looking at already having a pick in the, you know, 20 and beyond anyway. So, yeah. you know, okay, you you get rid of that one pick and you, you know, you, you take a shot at it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there are a couple of things here. The Blues have known they needed a left-handed defenseman since, oh, since training camp, all right? Uh, they had plenty of opportunities to make trades. Now, I know the price might be steep in their opinion, or are the Blues just sitting back waiting until the offseason where they can really load up uh, because their window is closing and they might want to make a legitimate run so they want to have enough assets to do what they need to do. So I, I'll just stay tuned and see what happens. Now, that doesn't mean they might not get a spare part somewhere, uh, maybe a rental. But right now it's one of those situations where they have to make sure that uh, they push the right button and not overpay because there are going to be some teams looking around saying to themselves, what the hell did we do? This guy isn't anything close to what we thought he was going to be. Do you think the Blues make a move today? No, I don't think so. Well, there's one guy I would like to see him get. I, you know, I've given up on the defenseman. I'd like to see Kyle Clutterbuck, who's with the New York Islanders, a guy who brings a lot of grit and sandpaper, uh, plays the body well, gives that fourth line a lot of security, uh, and can move up if you need him to. Uh, I bet you can get him for a, a reasonable price. That, that'd be a guy I'd like to add to the hockey club. Clavs, I know you got to run, so we will end today. Uh, this past weekend, we saw the passing of longtime NFL insider John Clayton. Um, did you have any run-ins with him over the year? Oh, several. Uh, first of all, what you saw is what you got with John John Clayton. Uh, the nicest, most accommodating person you'll ever run across. Uh, always would find a way to make time to come on your show or be interviewed, whatever the case is. Uh, just a very kind person that obviously the league is going to miss. Uh, ESPN, it kind of phased him out a little bit. So he's doing a lot more work in locally in Seattle. Uh, I know the last time we played the, the Mariners there, he came up to the booth and we had a good visit then. Uh, but just a good man, a very well-respected. You know what I kind of liken him to? Rick Hummel, uh, the commish. Um, same kind of guy, very, very tranquil, very uh, transparent. Uh, very well respected, and uh, he just not a bad word to set be said about. Him. And he knew his stuff. He yeah. knew his stuff. He had access to everyone, and uh, the ESPN and everybody else got a lot out of him. And uh, we're certainly going to miss him because he was a very good man. And we just don't have as many of those guys walking around as we used to. I had a uh, so at the Super Bowl in Arizona several years ago. A, a buddy of mine from college lived out there, so I brought him with me to the. Uh, to the media party 
and he's walking around and seeing people this and that and he sees john clayton he's like ah, this is john clayton he's like uh, you know just in awe of that and i'm like go go talk to him just go say well, hi he, to him. Like, oh, he's one of those guys oh gosh <laughs> that's why i don't let guys like you in parties like that it wasn't immediate it's it just okay. i was like go say hi to him you know just go go tell him you know just go tell him you like his work they ended up talking for so long and john clayton made all the time in the world for him not even a media guy just uh just a guy that was a longtime fan of his that's work. my point yeah. If it's a media guy, they probably have more in common than some other guys. It's like, yeah, I'm sure Clayton walked away like, oh. <laughs> That's why they don't let guys like you in those parties anymore. For that well, the guy's like, reason. yeah, I'm not the one going around doing that. I just okay. I pushed a friend to go yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah you uh-huh. bring people like that. That's the problem. <laughs> Jeez. Man, oh, man, oh, man. All right, Clayton. Hey, go get ready for your game this uh, this evening at the uh, the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. We've been posting all of your stuff, uh, all of your interviews up on YouTube and Twitter that you've been getting all uh, all week long down at Roger Dean. And we will check in with you as the uh, as the week goes on. Any uh, anything else planned this week? Um, working on a couple of things. Um, I just say stay tuned. Uh, we'll have a lot of stuff on our. Uh, countdown to Colt opening day show on KMOX as well but uh, I'm working on a couple other things on the side so uh, I would just suggest everybody stay tuned hopefully visit with Kevin Weeks now the trade deadline is almost behind us get his thoughts on who's going where or who's going where as far as teams are concerned and who missed the boat so we'll see how that thing unfolds later this week also He's Mike Claiborne. I'm Joe Roderick. This has been Lunch with Claibs and Joe, powered by Amherst, Illinois, driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura, and it's also sponsored by the HomeLoanExpert.com. We'll talk to you later. St. Louis Acura is the only Acura dealer in the nation to win the Precision Team Award for 30 years. How do we do it? By making you, our customers, our number one priority. As others increase their fees and take advantage of limited inventory, we keep our prices low because we remain committed to becoming better than ever and treating you as we want to be treated. We want you coming back and sending your friends and family to a better and owned family-based business you can trust. St. Louis Acura, better than ever for you.